Good afternoon, everyone. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we're delighted you're able to join with us as we have our open-air witness from Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow. We are delighted with this good weather, and we thank the Lord for answered prayer. And we are delighted to be able to come out again, as we seek to do uh, once a week with uh, an open-air witness. And we do so because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ has given uh, His church a commission to go forth and to preach the gospel. We find that in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, for instance, let me read one or two verses from God's Word, from Matthew chapter 28. His great commission. Hear the word of the living God. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And that was the, the gist of the commission that he gave to the original twelve apostles and to his disciples before he was taken up in glory to heaven where he came from. And he gave them this commission, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. And we want to fulfill our, a, a very small part of that commission as best as we're able to. And that's why we come out this afternoon and we leave our church buildings behind and we leave our studies behind in order that we might come out and draw to your attention uh, something concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there is no Christianity without Christ. He is the very sum and the very substance of the Christian gospel. And we do it, therefore, because we have this commission. But we also do it because we realize that most people today do not go to a Christian place of worship. It is true that most people today will not be found in God's house on the Lord's day. They'll be involved in sport, or they'll be working, or they'll be shopping, or they'll be on, in their gardens, or doing some DIY or maybe working in their cars or whatever. But by and large, the large proportion of the population today will not be found in God's house. And therefore, they will not hear the gospel. And we believe it is imperative that you at least hear the Christian gospel. And you are not to be ignorant of it. Because this message that we seek to proclaim 
is not our own. It does not belong to our denomination. It is God's Word and God's message for mankind. And we would go so far as to say it is only the hope that mankind has. And a proper response to the gospel is absolutely necessary for our eternal well-being. We are not talking about temporary issues here. We're talking about where you will spend eternity. And this is what the Christian gospel addresses. We have the Bible. There are 66 separate books in the Bible. There are 39 in the Old Testament, and there are 27 in the New Testament. But there is one thing that unites all of these books. It is the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you study the Bible, and we would urge you to study the Bible, and to that end, we would, would be happy to give you a Bible if you don't already possess a Bible. If you want a Bible, then please make yourself known, and we will do all that we can to get you a copy of God's Word. Now, many people will criticize the Bible, but basically, if you read the Bible, if you prayerfully consider the things that are there in the Bible and ask the Lord to open your eyes that you might behold wondrous things out of His law, you will come to realize that all of these books compiled in the Bible, they all lead to a person. The 39 books of the Old Testament talk about this glorious person that was to come. And the New Testament talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, the establishing of the Christian church in the book of Acts, and then the various letters that were written to these churches who were founded in the book of Acts. And therefore, it is a record of basically the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who became the Son of Man. And as I said earlier, this is really the sum and the substance of the Christian gospel. It is what Jesus Christ, the eternally begotten Son of God, has willingly and voluntarily undertaken. And you may well ask me then, what is so special about this person? What is so special about the Son of God who became the Son of Man? Well, He came from heaven. That in itself is absolutely unique. No one has ever come from heaven down to earth. In the Old Testament, we have glimpses of the fact that he would become a man and become like us. There were appearances of God in the Old Testament. Now these appearances were all the appearance of the Son of God. And sometimes he manifested himself as an angel. And that was telling us that one day he was going to come to this world 
and he was going to be just like us. In other words, he was going to take our form and our nature. And this is what makes, or at least one of the things that makes Christianity completely unique among all of the world's religions. It is that our founder, that our head, that the one that we worship and adore is the one who has come down from heaven. And he came down from heaven with a purpose. He did not come down without any purpose. He had a mission in mind. And as the Apostle Paul does say to young Timothy in the book of 1 Timothy in the New Testament, he says this concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And therefore, friends, we have this one who came down and we have an indication of the mission that he undertook. He had a mission to save sinners. Now, you might think to yourself, well, that's a wonderful uh, mission. That's a good purpose. But what has it got to do to me, for me? You might say, well, he came into the world to save sinners. But that, that doesn't really affect me. I'm not in that category, you might well say to me, as many do. But if we would say that, friends, we are really speaking through ignorance. Because the Bible makes it very clear to us that we are all sinners. We're all sinners in the sight of God. Let me read one or two verses again from God's Word and from 1 John chapter 1 in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's pretty clear, I would say. You know, some people say the Bible's not very clear and it's difficult to understand. Well, we acknowledge there are some things in the Bible that appear to us to be difficult and we need to think and meditate upon them and hope that the Lord will give us understanding. But I put it to you, friends, I put it to you sincerely, that most of the things that are found in the Bible are absolutely crystal clear. And our problem is not that the Bible is unclear. Our problem is we don't like what the Bible says about us. That really is our problem. And there, that verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're all sinners by nature, every one of us. The Bible says again, clearly, in, on a, in another place, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, I put it to you, that is crystal clear. It couldn't be any clearer. There, God in His Word, and of course, we are speaking God's Word. 
This word has been inspired by God, and we are simply quoting what God has chosen to reveal to us for our edification, for there is no difference. That simply means then that everyone that I can see this afternoon, we're all included there. Those that I cannot see, who are behind doors, behind windows, but who are hearing, this also includes you. The Bible says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means, that means we have missed the mark. Well, there's no need to go to hell, my dear. There's no need because there's a Savior who has come down to save us. Oh, He's in heaven, but He's still saving sinners today. And that's the reason why we come out. The young lady there mentioned, I don't want to go to hell. I think that's what she said. Well, you know, we will echo that. And that's the reason, or at least one of the reasons, that we come out here this afternoon and we stand here and we bring God's Word to your attention in order that you might respond positively to what we say. And I repeat, we are simply repeating what's in the Bible. We are not claiming any authority on, of ourselves. We are not cl- claiming any originality. This is not my Word. I am not the author of this. All I'm simply being is a mouthpiece. All I'm simply being is, a, I hope, a good steward of the gospel. And I'm seeking to pass on the word of God that you might hear it and that you might respond and that the Lord might open your heart and that you might hear something, hear that your soul might live. And the first thing, surely, that we're meant to hear in order that we might in some sense, grasp something of the gospel is to recognize our need. It is to recognize our need. Let me put it to you like this, friends. If you have something wrong with you, you will go to the doctor. Or maybe if you have toothache, you'll go to the dentist. But if there's nothing wrong with you, you won't trouble the doctor. And if you've no problem with your teeth, you won't go to the dentist. Why? Because you don't want to trouble them. You're fine. There's no problem. But the moment that you become ill, the moment something comes upon you, the moment you feel pain, the moment you feel unwell, what will happen? You will try to make an appointment with your doctor and you will tell them what the problem is and you will hope that the doctor will be able to identify what is wrong, and then he will be able to treat you accordingly. Well, it's exactly the same concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great physician of souls. He is the one who saves those who are lost and perishing because of their sin. He is the one who came to this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And what we must realize and understand, as far as God is concerned, we fit into this category. We are lost by nature. Oh, you might say, well, that's not the case for me. My life is going very well. I'm fit. I'm happy. I'm active. I've got a job. I've got a 
a husband, a wife, I've got children and grandchildren, I've got a flat, I've got property, I've got everything, everything this world can give me, and I don't need anything. Ah, but friends, you have a soul. You have a soul. And by the Word of God, we found out that you're a sinner in the sight of God. And this has consequences if it's not to be dealt with. What are the consequences? Well, the consequences are quite clear. One day we will pass from the scene of time. One day we will enter into eternity. And one day we will stand before King Jesus. One day, whenever that day comes, I cannot tell. I know the day will come. One day, on that great day of judgment, we will stand before King Jesus. He will be on his great white throne. He will be surrounded by glory and honor and majesty that is fit according to his great person. And every single one of us will stand before him. And we will give account of our lives. And friends, if we are found without a Savior on that day, the Lord Jesus Christ will be our judge and he will be our destroyer. That's why it's so vitally important that you hear this message, that you hear what real Christianity is all about. Because, friends, we can live our lives quite successfully to some extent without any reference towards God, towards His Christ, towards the Word of God. We can live as if God did not exist. But one day, things will change. Things will change. And I know that I'm speaking to you that your conscience is speaking to you also. Because, because we're made in the image of God, He has put eternity into us. It's part of His stamp. It's part of His image. And we know there's going to be a day of judgment. We know that. We cannot avoid it. The Bible tells us, knowing the judgment of God, you know that day is coming. Whenever it will come, it will come. Therefore, we want to tell you, there is a way that you can be acquitted on that day. And the only way to be acquitted on that day is to have a Savior, to have someone who has died in your room and in your place. To have a Savior, one who suffered and died in your room and in your place, one who is a substitute, one who paid the penalty of your sins, because that's what Jesus did, and that's why He came, in order to live a perfect life and offer up a perfect sacrifice that he might secure the salvation of his people, that he might secure their eternal salvation, 
because he did everything that was required in order to purchase the salvation of all who will believe upon him. Friends, that's why we come out this afternoon that you might hear something of this glorious Savior. And he will save you from your sins. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. If that is you, if you are saying, well, I don't need the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't need the salvation that he offers. I'm all right. I'm okay. What you're really saying is, you have no sin. You're simply deceiving yourself. Because you'll not be judged by your neighbor. You'll not be judged alongside any other person other than Jesus Christ himself. That one who alone lived a perfect life. But you know, there is comfort here. That verse 8 that I mentioned, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But what does it go on to say in verse 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, that there surely is, in essence, the Christian gospel. If we confess our sins, if we acknowledge our sins, if we acknowledge our transgressions, if we acknowledge that indeed we have sinned against a thrice holy God and that we deserve His wrath and condemnation, we shall be forgiven. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You know, no one can forgive your sins but Jesus Christ alone. You can go to a hundred priests. You could go to an archbishop. You could go to a cardinal. You could go to the Pope himself. You could go to any minister of religion. You could go to Muhammad or Confucius or whatever, whatever you follow. You can go to any leader whatsoever and they cannot save you. They cannot forgive your sins. Only Jesus can. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can do this. Why? Because he's the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who stood in a Roman place. He's the one who alone was punished on Calvary's tree. And he is the only one who can wipe the slate clean, who can prepare you for glory. You might know that well-known verse. I hope you know it by now because we love to quote it. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Now, many people don't like this. They don't like the fact that Christ is so dogmatic here. But we are happy to tell you the truth, and we are not ashamed of the Lord Jesus, and we're not ashamed 
of his words because they are truth. Jesus said on another occasion, Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Oh, what a blessing we have today. We have the word of God. We have truth all around us today. What have we got? We've got error. We've got lies. We've got propaganda. We've got spin. We've got half-truths. But in the Word of God, we have truth. And we acknowledge and admit that sometimes that truth does not flatter us. We know, therefore, it has come from God. And we are to humble ourselves before it and to recognize that it is God's Word for us. And it is for our edification. And when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me, we must realize he is telling us clearly there is no Savior but Jesus. There is no way to heaven but through Christ. There is no way that your sins can be forgiven unless you follow Him and believe upon Him and trust upon Him. There is no other Savior in this world. He alone is the one who has come down from heaven. And what's more, He is the only one who has returned to heaven. We began, we began our open-air service talking about the Great Commission that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to his congregation, to his church. And there he was in front of them all in Galilee. And what happens? He was taken up into heaven and a cloud overshadowed him. He went back to heaven. Our Savior today is not in any tomb. He's not in any grave. You can't go to the graveyard and point to the place where Jesus was because he's no longer there. He's in heaven. He came down from heaven, completed his mission perfectly, and he was accepted back into heaven as a great conqueror and as a great victor, having destroyed death and destroyed the works of the devil. That's our Savior. That's the Savior of the Christian gospel. And that's the Savior that we recommend to you this afternoon. We're delighted to be able to come out and to freely declare our faith, our hope in this glorious Savior, this one who has done things that no other person could possibly do. And therefore, we seek to draw your attention to this glorious person. And he says in his word through John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I put it to you with all respect. This is what you need above everything. This is your greatest need this afternoon. What is it, sir? What is my greatest need? Your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. You might think your greatest need is to have a better job, a better husband, a better wife, a better home, a better family, more money, more possessions, 
a better health. Maybe that's what you think your greatest need is. Well, these may be legitimate needs we acknowledge, but there's one need above all needs. It is to have your sins forgiven. And friends, in this short time that we're here together this afternoon, this is what we want to draw to your attention. There is a way in which your sins can be forgiven. How can my sins be forgiven, you might say? The only way is to trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the friend of sinners. Have you read the Bible? You know, many people discard the Bible, but they've never read it, and they don't know the message of the Bible. But I challenge you, friends, go to the Bible, read the Bible. You will find that any sinner, any sinner that came to the Lord Jesus Christ, he did not turn them away. He did not turn them away. He did not say, away from me, you're too great a sinner. He never said that. Instead, he welcomed sinners. And he welcomes sinners today. He's in God's right hand upon the throne of the universe. And he has sent out persons like myself to go forth and to declare the gospel and to command them to come to him. He says on one occasion, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There, friends, we have a tender gospel invitation from the Savior Himself. And if you want to read that three verses in context, you will know that he was speaking to hardened sinners. He was speaking to sinners who had heard him preach on many occasions, who had seen him perform miracles, and who had seen people whose lives had been changed by the gospel, but they themselves were hardened sinners. Yet, after scolding them for their lack of repentance, he then gives them this gospel invitation, Come, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Now he's not talking about people who are carrying cases or carrying uh, shopping. When he talks about being burdened and heavy laden, He's talking about that burden of sin. Or we might put it another way, that troubled conscience. You have a troubled conscience on occasion. It's a fact because we all have it, sir. I have it and you're no different. It's a fact. No, well, uh, theology is the queen of sciences. Don't you know that, sir? Don't you know that? And we're talking about things that are real. We're talking about your conscience. And I know you'll have a troubled conscience. How do I know that you have a troubled conscience? You know, friends, I had a troubled conscience. I know what it's like. It's not pleasant. It affects you in times when you're quiet and when you're thinking and when you're meditating. It affects you in times when... Maybe you're ill and you're lying low in your bed. 
or it affects you in other times, maybe when you've experienced death, maybe you've lost a, a father or a mother or a sibling or a friend, and your own mortality comes home to you, and your conscience troubles you. Why does your conscience trouble you? Well, your conscience troubles you because you know that when you yourself will die, you'll meet God and you're not fit to meet Him. That's why your conscience is troubled. That's why you are heavy laden. That's why you're burdened. Well, friends, the Lord Jesus Christ can take that burden away from you. He can deal with the problem of your sin like no one else can. And that is another reason that we come out to you this afternoon, that you might have relief, that you might have your sins forgiven, that you might have Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. We're here from Partake Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're a local congregation. We are a Scottish registered charity. And we meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. If you go up Dumbarton Road, we're not far from here. Go up Dumbarton Road. You'll come to the police station. Opposite the police station, go up the hill there. And you'll come, first of all, to Thornwood Primary School. And then you'll meet our building at 2 Thornwood Terrace at the crossroads next door to the school. We extend a warm welcome to you. Come along, 11 a.m. on the Lord's Day Sunday, or again in the early evening at 6 p.m. And also on Wednesday at 7.30, we would extend a sincere warm welcome to you all to come along and hear something more. And may the Lord bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, just up the road there, up to Barton Road, come to the police station. Opposite the police station, you'll find a hill. Go up there past the school, Thornwood Primary School, and then you'll come to our building at 2 Thornwood Terrace. Please come along any Lord's Day, that's Sunday, the first day of the week. Come along at 11 a.m. or in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 we do give you a sincere, warm welcome to come along. It may well be that you haven't been at a Christian place of worship for some time, and maybe you might be somewhat apprehensive. Please don't feel that. Come along. You'll be under absolutely no obligation. Please come along. And maybe you've never been to church at all. You know, that's possible. We recognize that. Again, don't feel you're under any pressure whatsoever. We will be delighted to hear, see you and to receive you. You would be made most welcome. You might find what we're doing somewhat strange these days. Why do we say that? Well, we say that because it is unusual to hear see people out preaching the gospel in the open air. 
and to be handing out gospel tracts. This might seem a wee bit strange in our current environment. But you know, friends, Glasgow was a city that was noted for the proclamation of the gospel. And what we are doing here would have been done on a far greater amount many decades ago. And we come out, well, because we're not ashamed of the gospel, and we're not ashamed of our Savior. And we want you, too, to hear something about the Savior, about this one who alone can save us from our sins. But first, we must come to realize that we're sinners and that we are accountable before a holy God. The Bible teaches us that God is the Creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. That's how the Bible begins. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in the Old Testament, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And right away we are confronted with this reality that God is. God is a reality. And God is eternal. And that simply means God has no beginning. This world, this universe had a beginning. But God has no beginning. And therefore, because He has no beginning, He has no end. He is eternal. And He is the only one who is absolutely eternal. And the work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. That's what the Bible teaches us about our great God. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. All very good, my dear. Everything all very good. Very good. And what's more, God has made you. Oh, that's terrible language. There's children about here. You want to watch your language. Out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's terrible language. That's hate language. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. You're going to speak proper. No, you're not allowed. This is public. No, this is this is this is public property here. At home, you can speak as you like, but not in the public arena. No, no, no. Out of the heart, the mouth speaketh, and what we say with our mouths reveals what's in our hearts. But that's what the Bible will tell us. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. That's why we need to be saved, friends. We need to be saved from our wicked hearts, from foul language and from the sins that flow from our hearts. And God has made us. 
and we are therefore accountable unto him. God made man male and female after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. Do you realize, friends, we have been made originally in the image of God, male and female. What a privilege, what an honor to be made in the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were created perfect. And for the time that they kept their innocence, they had a wonderful relationship with their heavenly Father, with their Creator. And they enjoyed wonderful times with their Creator because they were made in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness like their heavenly Father. But what happened, friends? What happened? Well, we know what happened. Sin entered into man's existence. Sin came into the universe. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man... We, we wanted to have a coffee in there, but it's too noisy. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. This is a problem, friends. We've all sinned. And sin manifests itself in our language, in our thoughts, and in our actions. And when Adam and Eve listened to the evil one, to the tempter who told them to eat the forbidden fruit, and when they succumbed to that temptation, sin entered into this world. Adam and Eve fell. They had sinful natures. Their original innocency and purity was gone. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, we have inherited their sinful nature. And that's why we have all the problems that we have in this world today. That's why there are wars and fightings. That's why our courts are full of criminals or people being tried for criminal crimes. That's why our prisons are full. That's why we have sickness and suffering and tears. That's why we have bad weather. That's why we have weeds. That's why we have all of these things that have come upon us because of mankind's sin. And many people go back and they think about what Adam and Eve did and they say to themselves, well, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal because they rebelled against their Creator God who had been absolutely good to them continually. And they sided with God's enemy, the evil one, the devil, that one who is around us, that one who is even saying to you this afternoon, don't listen to that preacher there. Don't listen to him. 
He's not telling you the truth when the reality is, friends, He is telling you the truth. And what's more, your conscience is telling you that this poor preacher is indeed telling you the truth. And therefore, we have a great problem, an insurmountable problem, a problem that we cannot deal with ourselves. And such is the nature of sin, we don't want to deal with it. We are happy to be estranged and separated from God. We want nothing to do with God. As I said earlier, many people don't go and worship God today in a Christian place of worship. And one reason why they don't go is that they want to run away from God. They don't want to be confronted by God. They don't want to hear His Word. They don't want to hear the Gospel, which would, would remind them of their sin and of their need to be reconciled to God. They don't want to hear this. And that's the way all of us are by nature. We run from God when, if we were wise, if we were truly wise, we would run to God. Because He's the only one that can deal with our problem. And that's why He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God, therefore, took the initiative. God saw our plight. God saw our problem. And blessed be God, He was one who was able to address our greatest need. And He did this by sending His Son. And He sent His Son ultimately to be a substitute. One who would die in our room and in our place. One who would live a perfect life. And one who would therefore be able to offer up a perfect sacrifice to deal with our sin. You know, this is something that makes Christianity unique. Christianity talks about, of a, about atonement, about paying the price of our sins, removing that barrier between God and man, the barrier of sin. It deals with it. It deals with it head on. And God provided the sacrifice, His only begotten Son, His eternally begotten Son. Can you imagine it? Here the Lord God Almighty is showing His love towards mankind. He sends forth His Son that His Son might die in our room and in our place. You know, there are some people deny the deny the crucifixion. They say that God's Son did not die. But we know that He did. He did because it was all part of God's predetermined plan and counsel. He was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. This is marvelous. 
This is indeed something stupendous. You know, we talked earlier a few minutes ago about the fall. We talked about Adam and Eve being created in the image of God and being created perfect. And then we spoke about how they fell and how they became sinners. And, that, and because of that, they have a sinful nature. And because of that, we have sinful natures. But you know, as far as the mind of God was concerned, the Lord God saw, He saw creation, He saw the fall of man, and He had in some sense ordained that Christ would come in the councils of eternity. That's our great God. That's the God of the Bible. He saw creation. He saw the fall. But He had a plan before all of this happened in eternity. And the plan was, or at least part of the plan, because the plan is absolutely tremendous. The great plan of redemption. Part of that plan was that His Son would come. That His Son would take upon Himself our form and nature and become like us in order that He might live in this world just like us. But instead of living a sinful life, He lived a spotless and a pure life. And therefore, He was able to offer up Himself as that once-for-all sacrifice. This is why we come out then in order that we might tell you about this person. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. 1 John chapter 3 verse 4. Here he's talking about sin. And as I said to you earlier, this is our greatest problem. Sin. Your personal sin separates you from a holy God. And in order to be reconciled to God, that sin must be dealt with. And it can only be dealt by the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. He's the one who perfectly kept the law of God. In thought, in word, and in deed. He's the only one who ever lived a holy life. And His righteousness is imputed to those who believe in Him. He takes our sin. We receive His righteousness. That's how God can receive us. And when God looks upon the believer, what does He see? He doesn't see the believer's sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the spotless purity of the Son of God. And He is well pleased. That's why He said there, when Christ began His public ministry, and when He was being baptized by John the Baptist, what did he say concerning Christ? What did he testify about him? This is my beloved Son, in whom 
I am well pleased. This is the one you are to trust upon. This is the one you are to call upon. He alone can save you. This is the gospel, friends. What is the gospel? The gospel's good news. It's good news from heaven. And to believe the gospel, what are we to do? We are to repent and believe the gospel. There's two parts to the gospel call. It is to repent. What does that mean? Again, we don't use that word much in uh, society today. And sadly, you might not even hear of it in the church. But it's a good old gospel word. And what does it mean? It means to turn away from our sins. Oh, but minister, I'm a good person. I'm not a sinner. But yes, you are. The Bible says so. This is what we go by. The Bible says there is none righteous. No, not one. None righteous. To be righteous means that you can stand before God. Uncondemned. But the Bible says by nature there is none righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have missed the mark. None of us have lived the way that we should have. And this is because we have come from Adam and Eve and we have their sinful nature. It's not as if we sin and then we become sinners. No, it's the other way around. We sin because we are sinners. We are sinners. We're born sinners. We're shapen in iniquity. And that's not a reference to the, the biological act. It just simply means that we inherit our, sin, our sinful natures from our parents, who in turn received it from their parents all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. But Jesus Christ was not conceived in the way that we, are. we have been conceived. We have been conceived by ordinary generation. He was conceived by extraordinary generation. He was conceived by a miraculous operation of God the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, guaranteeing that he would have no original sin. That's the Savior. That's the one you are to put your faith and hope and trust upon. That's the one who can forgive your sins. That's the one who can take you to glory. That's the one who's alive today. That's the one who suffered and died and was put in a tomb. But on the third day and the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, Sunday, he rose victorious over the grave because death could no longer hold him. <clears throat> and therefore, we are proclaiming to you this afternoon a Savior who is alive and well. Yes, we're not proclaiming a Savior who is in a manger or a Savior 
who is on a cross, or a Savior who's in the grave, we're proclaiming to you this afternoon a Savior who's in heaven, and a Savior who will return. <coughs> he will return, friends. We know that many deny that he even came the first time. But the next time, he'll come. He'll come with the clouds. He'll come in power and in glory. He'll come to judge the world. He'll come to sit upon his great white throne. He'll come to judge the living and the dead. He'll come to usher in the eternal age. Where will you stand on that day? How will it fare on that day for you? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad. And as the Apostle Paul then goes on to say, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If we can persuade you, friends, we would persuade you. All we can do is present the truths of the gospel to your hearing. God must save. Salvation is of the Lord. May he be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're glad you're able to join with us. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing with a local Christian congregation. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. If you want to get there, go up Dumbarton Road, and you'll come to the police station. And opposite the police station, you'll find a hill. Go up there and you'll first come to Thornwood Primary School. Our building's next door at 2 Thornwood Terrace at the crossroads. And we meet there on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, Sunday, at 11 a.m. And we also meet in the early evening at 6 p.m. And also we have a midweek meeting at 7.30 p.m. You are welcome to come along to any of these services. We are quite open. We have nothing to be ashamed of. We don't want to hide anything. We preach the Lord Jesus Christ in all His fullness. We are not ashamed of Him or of His words. And as we have opportunity we seek to press home the claims of Christ to all who will hear. And he is the very sum and substance of our message because there is no other person that we need but the Lord Jesus Christ. He is absolutely unique. He is beautiful. He is glorious. I wonder, do you know that He is the creator of heaven and earth? 
and the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let me read from God's Word from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. Let us hear God's Word, who in the image, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. There we have the Apostle Paul talking to us and outlining something concerning Christ, the Son of God who became the Son of Man, who is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is, you need to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to study His person. You need to look at His work. There you will find what God is like. There we will see He is an exact representation of God. People talk about God. They talk about studying God. You study God when you look at Jesus Christ. He alone reveals God to us. For by Him were all things created in heaven and that in earth. This is marvelous. This one who came down to this world, who humbled Himself, became just like us. He's the one who spoke many years ago and brought everything into being. That's what we're told. That is what we find in the Word of God concerning this person. For by him were all things created, that are in heaven and that in earth, visible and invisible. The visible things we can see ourselves, they have been created by Christ. The invisible things we cannot see, we will see them one day when we go into the eternal world, the spiritual world. But Christ is the one who has created the angels, and there are various types and sorts of angels. Christ is the one who has created all life, physical, spiritual all the things that we can see and all the things that we cannot see, they have been created by the Lord Jesus Christ. All things were created by Him and for Him. And that would tell us surely something about ourselves. We have been created in the image of God. God created man male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. Therefore, Christ is the one, the Son of God is the one, who has created you. And therefore, 
he has authority over you, and you are required to serve him. This is what the Bible would teach us. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is our purpose in life. Many people today would tell us there is no purpose in life. That is certainly the philosophy and the teachings of atheists. They tell us there is no God. And if there's no God, there's no purpose. There's no hope in life. And this is the kind of teaching... This is the kind of teaching that affects so many people today. When they believe this atheistic doctrine that there is no God, therefore there's no purpose in life. And that's why so many atheists have no real purpose in their life. But the Bible is completely and utterly different. It tells us the truth as it is in Jesus. Man's chief end, man's purpose, the purpose of why we're here in this world, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the only way we can do that, friends, is to have the relationship restored. The relationship that was broken way back near the beginning of time when our first parents, Adam and Eve, who had been created perfectly, but they fell. They succumbed to to the devil's temptation. And when they ate the forbidden fruit, they fell. And sin entered into them and into human existence that has plagued us ever since. And the only way that we can get right with God is by having that relationship restored. And the only way is through the Lord Jesus Christ, that one who came in order to provide a way whereby a holy God and sinful mankind could be reconciled. You know that mankind, in some sense, knows there's a real problem. And they want, by their own ways and their own methods, to make reconciliation and to be restored to God. That's why we have so many religions in this world. Man is a religious individual. He will have someone to worship. But all religions, apart from biblical Christianity, are false. But the very fact that they're there would demonstrate to us that man knows there's a problem and he wants to address that problem. But sadly, he's seeking to address it the wrong way. The only way that we can be reconciled to God is to have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He is the one who has come down from heaven. In other words, he has the stamp and the approval of heaven. He comes with heavenly authority. No other religion can claim this. 
No other religious leader can claim this whatsoever. He is the one who alone has come down from heaven. And we know that his work was successful. Why do we know that? Because he was the only person who has now been received back up into heaven. Do you see it? A full circle. He has come down from heaven. He had a mission. He accomplished that mission. He fulfilled it perfectly. And then, after he was seen by his disciples for a period of 40 days, he then ascended back up into heaven. He would never be able to ascend back up into heaven if his mission was not successful. God would not accept an imposter or a liar or a charlatan. And the very fact that he arose and was received back up into heaven and he has been exalted and he has now sent forth the gift of the Holy Spirit upon the church, it all demonstrates to you and to me this afternoon that Christ is to be trusted. His work is alone acceptable. This, therefore, is a glorious person. And you are to put your faith and hope and trust upon him. But you may well wonder, if you're honest, if you're thinking at all, you may well say to, to yourself, well, will he really accept me? I've done a tremendous amount of wicked things. All my life I've lived in sin. I've committed despicable things and surely he would never ever accept me. Maybe that's what you're thinking. Well, friends, we can tell you honestly and sincerely, the Lord Jesus Christ receives sinners. It's not the righteous He came to save. It's sinners. It's those who know they have sinned. He has come to save them. Let me read a verse from the Old Testament from the prophet Micah talking about God and talking about His character. And we need to know this God. We need to know of His character. We need to know of what kind of person He is. And Micah says in chapter 7, verse 13, again, open your Bibles and read this for yourself. But it says in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. That is the God of the Bible. That is the God of Christianity. Who is like God? Who is like him who will forgive, who will pardon, who will overlook sin, who will receive the penitent, who will look upon the repentant, who is merciful towards those who will confess and forsake their sins. There is none like him. He retaineth not his anger forever. 
You know, God is angry against sin. There's no doubt about it. We're not going to deny it. But when he sees repentance, when he sees people forsaking their sins, when he sees them broken for their sins, what? He retaineth not his anger forever. Why? Why? Because he delighteth in mercy. What a God we serve, therefore. And I put it to you that we see the love of God displayed clearly and plainly when we look and when we study the theology of the cross. What's the theology of the cross? Well, if you know anything about Christianity, you will know that God sent forth His Son, that ultimately He would suffer and die on a cross. And we know that it was wicked men who put Him there. He went through various false trials, and He was falsely accused of blasphemy and sedition, and ultimately He was put on a cross there by the Roman soldiers with a full approval of the Jewish religious leaders. We know human hands were involved in it and they will be held accountable for their actions. We know that. But ultimately, friends, it was God's plan. It was God's way with dealing with mankind's greatest predicament. It was God's way of dealing with our sin. There, what happened? Christ offered up Himself as a once-for-all perfect sacrifice And there God was laying upon him the iniquity of us all. His his righteousness is given to us. And our sinfulness has been imputed unto Christ. There was a great transaction there. A double transaction, you might say. God was punishing him for sin. For he who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. The great transaction. And God, therefore, when you look at the cross, when you study the theology of the cross, there you see God's love, we see God's mercy, we see God's compassion in the fact that He punished His Son in the place of sinners who deserve to die. Because that's the penalty for sin. The penalty for sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us. In Romans chapter 6 verse 23. But as you look at the cross... And as you study the theology of the cross, friends, you do see the love of God. You do see His compassion. You do see His mercy. You do see His loving kindness. But you also see His wrath. Because He did not spare His Son. His Son died a cruel, bloody death. His Son suffered the pains of hell on Calvary's tree. He was truly punished. God did not go light on sin. God punished His Son. And there the Son knew the wrath of God being poured out upon Him. That's why He cried out, Eloi, 
Eloi, lama sabachthani. What does that mean? It means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Christ was forsaken there. God turned his face away from the Son of God. Why? Because he saw him with our sin on him. Study the cross. Study the theology. And there you'll see, yes, the love of God. But you'll also notice the wrath of God. He was condemned in order that we would not be condemned. What a wonderful transaction. What a glorious plan of redemption. And Christ, by what he did, brought about a glorious eternal salvation. What does salvation mean, you might say to me? Well, salvation means deliverance. It means to be set free. It means to be emancipated. What do we need to be set free from? We need to be set free from our sins, from its guilt, from its power, and ultimately from its presence forever. That's what's in the gospel, friends. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ provides. That's what he has achieved. And we come out this afternoon to tell you about him. To tell you about this one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And to tell you to come to him, to trust upon him, to believe upon him to turn to him and to let you know that he will receive you. He will turn none who are penitent away from him. Therefore you are to repent and believe the gospel. God commands all men everywhere to repent. The Apostle Paul tells us we are to turn away from our sins, from our lying, from our cheating, from our blasphemy, from our pride, from our fighting, from committing murder, from adultery, from fornication, from homosexuality, from Sabbath-breaking, from stealing, from lying, from cheating. We're to turn away from our sins. This is what's required. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Repent and receive a new heart, new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Would you like a new start? Your life's in turmoil. Your life's a mess. Christ, Christianity, offers a new hope, 
a new life. If any man be in Christ, that's what a Christian is. He's in Christ. His life is hid in Christ. He is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm going to close with this verse, a glorious verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. That's what happens when you're saved. That's what happens when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation. Sin has been forgiven. You have been reconciled to God. Your eternal destiny is secure. Eternity is safe. Friends, come then. Come, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And may God be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon.